Welcome to Academic Conversation with Merton and Morgan. I'm Alicia. And I'm Mary. And we are sharing content that supports and empowers parents and teachers. Hello, Mary. Hey, Alicia. How are you today? I'm doing really well today. How are you? Good. I'm good. The sun's out. We're, mm-hmm. we're wrapping up this book that's been so good. It's so we good. We are, and we have had and we would love to, to hear from you. So let us know what you think. I love it. Yes, please. Yes, we have many thoughts about this book, don't we? We do. So we are on letter six, right? Yes, and the book we're reading is Reader Come Home, Reading Brain in a Digital Age by Dr. Marianne Wolf. And we have um, chapters six through nine left, and our planned day is to discuss chapters six and eight. Uh, we'll give a nod to chapter nine. It's really a wrap-up of the book. think I've highlighted almost every word in this letter. Um, and yeah, I, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. You find yourself highlighting like a, like a kid who doesn't know how to highlight yet. And I just agree. I just agreed with everything. I, I could have had this, you know, this whole letter in just yellow highlighter, but I had to kind of stop and, and make my notes. But she really just, this letter six really just talks about the children age zero to two uh, really need that time in your lap to read and hold the book and be able to chew on the book if if they're an infant and a toddler and how important that is and she she says right from the beginning before a baby can utter its first words this never old physical dimension of a child's earliest experience with reading connects healing tactile and emotional to attention, memory, perception, and language regions in the youngest brains. And so so she just kind of goes on to talk about how even a baby who cannot tell you what they're thinking can can still process language. And and they can do that from the very beginning. So talking to them and reading to them every day is just so important. And she she says... Oh, I was just to say, I don't mean to interrupt you, no, I okay. what you're going to say next. I was just going to say that we hear this a lot, you have to read to your children, you have to read to babies, and you and I have heard it certainly for many years, but as I read it again, I experienced it in a new way because of the, the research and the way that she points us toward what we know in the latest aspects of brain research about kids. So I felt like I wasn't, I kind of thought, well, this might be boring because I've heard this so many times, but I wasn't at all. Were you? No. I know oh. you know little kids so well. You really are an expert with the young readers. And I don't know, I was wondering, I kept thinking about you while I was reading it. So many of the things here I've heard from you. Um, and I was just wondering, was any of this still new for you and still, um, you know, telling. Yes, I have. I mean, like I said, I have so much 
highlighted and just I, I knew it was important for young readers to be able to hold that book. I've said that in, in some of our previous podcasts, but the association with, with the emotions and the feeling and the touch and, and how it uh, contributes to the attention that we've talked about in even in our last few podcasts and how important that is for comprehension and retention of what you've read and, and to know that that starts so, so early was so nice to see in print. Yes. About how the emotional um, aspects of memory, like the, that Mm -hmm. starts to be laid down in the neural networks before the, you know, what we think of as a memory. Yes. That those emotional memories come in first. Those are the strongest things that a kid has in the beginning. And uh, just because kids can't talk about, you know, babies can't talk about what they're thinking, it doesn't mean that they're not constantly processing language from the very beginning. And that is a real wake-up call, I think. I agree. She she also says, as we know and, and we've talked about before, but one of the single most important predictors of later reading achievement has been how much parents read to their child. And she kind of talks about there's been a survey done from Common Sense Media, and they said the last 10 years, parents have begun to read less to their children. And they've listed several reasons, maybe why, why that is, but they just kind of talked about how important it is. And Mary, I'm going to let you talk about this a little bit because... I feel like you're the expert in in this area, but how important it is for students learning English or another language, how important it is for them to still be read to in their own language, the benefits of that and how that's Mm -hmm. still needed. Well, yeah, we know that whatever the brain does in one language, it can transfer to another target language. So, um, you know, some kids know not just two, they know multiple languages because that's how they needed to navigate where they've lived, and um, it's settled science. I mean, we know this to be true. If I'm learning about language and I'm learning concepts in Spanish, Spanish is my first language, then that transfers to whatever other language I'm trying to learn. So all of these things are important, and parents should be encouraged to do them, no matter what language they speak and what the target language is for their children in school. So we try to tell parents that all the time, and sometimes I think we make headway for them believing us, but sometimes I think that they feel like they don't have much to contribute, and we have a lot of work to do to let parents know that they always have things to contribute. You know, whatever concepts you learn in one language, you're going to be able to understand no matter what language you're trying to speak, you know, so... I thought uh, one of the things that was really important here was about joint attention. That kids and with someone reading just to that child was mutually focused, or she called it also joint attention and a shared gaze. And how, according to researcher Charles Taylor, the crucial condition for human language learning is joint attention, which he and others who are involved in studying the onset genesis of language consider one of the most important features of human evolution so you can already feel her working her way toward um traditional books and digital books when she's talking about that joint attention so it's not something you can hand to a child and say oh here you go you know look at this by yourself i mean sometimes i know we all have to do can a kid their favorite book but if you're not sitting with that child and putting your attention and your focus on them and reading it and looking at it with 
them, then they're not getting all the benefit of the language learning and the emotional learning. That just blows me away. I mean, it's so important, but people just think we don't know. And we know it's important to read the kids. But that piece of it, I have not heard articulated that way. Right. And she, and we were just really talking about the zero to two. And now when she moves into the two-year-olds to the Mm five-year-olds, she really kind of talks about that's when, you know, the background knowledge and and their Mm -hmm. experiences with words really come into play. And she begins kind of talking about music and and playing games and playing sports and how that helps that doing those activities helps them with attention and I have marked off in my little margin here deep reading because we you know we've learned and talked a lot about how this having the attention helps with the background knowledge and in turn helps with that deep reading process and and how she kind of talks about doing simple things outside and and helping those Mm -hmm. experiences build their background knowledge, which we know when we've talked about is so important. So now it's kind of come full circle to say, these are the things that need to be done and how just having novels provides those new new avenues for being able to have different perspectives and, and being able to have sympathy and empathy which we need right now with everything going on in our world and how it just helps and at such a young age that's formed in a book. Yeah. I thought um, along those same lines, what you're talking about with sympathy and empathy, she also talked about analogy. Do you remember back earlier in the book when she talked about analogy, being able to make analogies um, to be one an inference over the two components of conceptual thought that she really broke down and and she was saying that being able to make analogy is how you basically, one of the ways that you hook language, like you hook concepts, you go, you go from one concept to the next, you know, this is to that, as this is to that, so you yes. kind of make that leap, and she talks about how analogical thought builds in those well-worn pages of the books that kids are read, where language development flourishes and that speaking to your child exposes them to those words that are all around them that they might not know any other way and we talk a lot about vocabulary and vocabulary deficits and things like that but I really believe and I've seen in my own teaching that whatever it is that a parent is reading to a kid it might not necessarily you know match the, the books that the kids might be reading if they are living in a different culture than the one that their parents were first reading to them in but they can still make that kind of conceptual, you know, comparison. They can still think about it. They can still move forward in their thinking. I just think there's so many kids that have a lot of knowledge that we don't always give credit to or give importance to. But this act of reading to a child literally is building the ability for kids to think. So when you think about being able to make analogies and empathize, make inference, all of those things, I mean, the analogy piece, I keep, I have seen so much on Twitter lately with all of the situations that are occurring in our city and others where people are trying to express their thoughts about different very important issues to them and other people are not understanding the analogy and people are trying to like add drawings or other or memes or something else and saying no you're not understanding what I'm saying here it is another way and it really hit me that maybe we're not really as good at that sophisticated kind of thinking as we used to be you know maybe it's not just people being stubborn maybe it's people just not getting it I don't know it's just it's, this has made me think about so many things that are happening now. So what did you think about letter H? I know this hits um, home with you a lot. Yeah. 
just said just a few minutes ago about people are trying to make clear what what they want to say and they're having a hard time doing that the way things are going and, and playing out on the media and, and the events um, that are happening in our world right now are we empathetic enough you know are we able to take on somebody else's perspective I don't know I, it, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't seem that way but it there's hope that we're getting there maybe I don't know and it does help it does make me hopeful that we have the tools that because you and I are such our, our work in, in literacy drives us and uh -huh. and that and that having a good base in literacy which we've already known that it's even more important to help with the social outcomes of our world which yeah. which is heavy being about physical books and print and that that would be the principal medium and I think you and I discussed privately and we can discuss it here as well about our experiences doing online learning with the littlest kids it wasn't <laughs> it didn't seem to be to their liking <laughs> for quite a few of them you know they were they were almost staging a rebellion a lot of kids I've talked to a lot of parents too who said you know they missed their friends they wanted to be at school they wanted to be with you know their teacher and understand what happens on the screen I think it's because their brain needs something else and they know that so the fact that she's saying uh, the first years it's about physical books that made me think that you know we've been on the right track in what we've noticed our own observation of kids our own kid watching has been in line with what she's 
Yes. He actually quotes a student that said, books slow me down and make me think, and the internet feeds me up. And and she goes to say, each would have its place. Moreover, Mm -hmm. children would learn what is best for different learning tasks. And Mary, you have said that for the last six or seven years. (laughs) You you have said... Well, but but um, you love. She talks about a body of research on the handwriting that demonstrates when children learn to write their thoughts by hand in early grades, they become better writers. Well, and they become better readers and thinkers. Of course, I I have that highlighted and I completely agree. I mean, we did our a Facebook Live on, on making books. That that wasn't just a you know, something to do in the summer. That there's research behind that and I and I know it's true. I mean I I work in classrooms with emergent writers and readers. When they produce writing that someone else can read and that they can read, it affects everything. Well, have you found, too, that kids, um, especially kids that, you know, you and I have been working with some kids recently who are not really attending to what they're reading. They have some maybe baggage around how good of a reader they think they are, how successful they'll be. And what I've found in the past is that if you get those kids to write, if you can get them to just maybe just think about writing exclusively for a little while based on something that I read to them or a picture or, you know, some kind of visual that I can show them, um, it tends to really help with that. That I don't want to look at the print too closely because I don't want to be wrong all the time. So if I just kind of rush through there and try to get in and out, no one's going to notice that I didn't get it. Um, I don't know. I think that that writing piece is... That's where I always go if I think a kid is, you know, needing to slow it down. Right, to really yes. pay attention to what they're doing. Um, it also helps, too, if you need a, a child to go back into the text for a certain reason, purpose. I, I work with a lot of kids that only want to read it once and don't understand, don't want to, don't know why. They have to read it again. And are, are, and sometimes get angry about it. So if they're writing something or um, they have to reflect on what they've read, it's a good opportunity to, to reinforce that going back and rereading. I have to go back and reread several times something that I've I've read, especially if I wanna wanna write about it or remember it. So yeah. I think that repetition helps too and, and the yeah. writing helps to to reinforce why that's important. And to just have your thoughts down, your own thoughts and your own opinion about right. about what you've read. I thought 
the idea of counter skills. I don't know if you picked up on that, but she was talking about how, you know, kind of how this process for teaching kids first um, it with traditional print and making sure they can read um, fluently and then moving toward digital print. Um, but she talked about teaching counter skills, which is uh, an emphasis to be placed on the importance of reading for meaning, yes. not speed, avoiding skimming, word spotting, zigzag style, <laughs> and on regular monitoring of comprehension while reading. And I just thought, oh my goodness, yes, those are the counter skills. <laughs> in other words, that's what we don't want them to do. And then to instead focus on um, them using an analogical and inferential skills and um, paying attention to the plot and the sequence. So kind of, she told us what not, what to teach them, almost like what not, not to, to do. Not to teach, right, right. Yeah. Oh, and I, I mentioned this to you the other day, but also her um, use of research by Julie Coiro. Um, I was exposed to a lot of her research, I don't know, years, maybe five years ago when I was working in my um, reading specialist program and I had a class on literacy and technology. And um, she writes so much about um, kids being able to make decisions about the content that they're seeing online and how to self-regulate, check their attention, and remember what they're reading online. So she has so many really great resources that you can access. Her last name is spelled C-O-I-R-O. So she is a real proponent of helping kids use comprehension skills and to be um, empowered readers on the Internet. And I still think that we're doing a terrible job of helping kids do that. Even my, my older kids who are in high school, you know, one of them was in a math science technology school, and when I was learning about these things and I would present them to him, he said, no, Mom, nobody's ever, you know, throughout the years that I've been in this program, told us about how to determine the credibility of an online source or how to look at, you know, the .com, .org, .it, you know, .gov to look at the address to determine where this is generated from, just all of those things that we could, kids can learn, we're not doing it. At least we're not in our setting. We're not doing it enough. So I had to throw that in there. I think she's a great uh, person. She has teacher materials, too, that people can look up. Um, she has she has materials that are for teachers to use in a classroom setting that are based on her research. So We'll put that link on our podcast page so people okay. can access have access to it. She talks about the hurdles and she looks at it from the uh, perspective of a scientist, an educator, and a citizen. So the first hurdle she talked about, she looks through the perspective of being a scientist, which she is, and she said that they're they're really basically there needs to be more research done on the impacts of both the print and the digital mediums on children. She said that there's really not not enough out there, which I thought was interesting because we're we're in the middle of it, but we still don't know enough. Right, you know? and I think that um, given what you know, we've just been reading about recently about the money that's being put into ed tech. I think the last article I read was three, something like $350 million a year. I think that this research um, is probably going to be a challenging sell to, in some ways, because there's a lot of money to be made in education technology and not so much to be made from being cautious about how kids reading circuits are forming. I don't know. Maybe I'd be paranoid, but that is, that is, it seems to be, you know, the money usually leads the way, so. 
But I think your your point is made because the the second hurdle she talks about, which I think fits perfectly, is her perspective as an educator and how we need to invest more in comprehensive professional training. And I think that Mary, if we are trained more and and we know what to do and what technologies to use for children and when, we then maybe we will have more of a say in how those monies are spent. Yes, and I have kept myself on this page just so I could connect this back to what you're saying. Um, she said that most teachers, a full 82%, have mm-hmm. never been given training in the best uses of technology for children from kindergarten to grade four, much less how to teach good online reading skills to different kinds of learners. Yes. Yeah, and I think that was such a salient point during our online learning this year that it was the kindergarten, the first and second grade, even third grade teachers who were saying, how do you really set this Google Classroom up? Um, you know, and I heard some, you know, sort of finger pointing saying, oh, you were supposed to teach your kids their login and they should know this. And it was, you know, a really long email and a really long password and, you know, yes. um, the primary teachers have to choose what they're going to focus on and that is not what they, you know, they had it on a card for the kids to use when they needed it but they didn't have the kids being committed, committed to memory. But, um, well, and 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 I can just say from our experiences, um, some sometimes even having the cards in the classroom, um, the password may be all lowercase and the keyboard is in all capital letters, and and we have students who are just learning the alphabet, much less learning the English alphabet. That is very confusing, and not, I mean. It, it's a barrier already. So I, I think I think things like that seem insignificant to somebody or or not important, but it really is a huge barrier for students yeah. who are who still don't know all their letters, maybe. And then that uh-huh. yeah. So and it takes a lot of time for the teacher to log everybody in. So yes. Just something to think about. And then the last hurdle. Did you want to tell? The last hurdle. Her perspective is as a citizen. She talks about the gap that exists between society and the world through access. And we know, uh, we've talked about that before, through our NTI, a lot of our families did not have access. And a lot of our schools don't still have one-to-one access either. Yeah, and I've noticed um, personally when working with English learners in fourth and fifth grade, I try to really give them a chance to do more digital, you know, writing and and blogging and and trying to get them interested so that they'll really practice these skills. It quickly becomes obvious which kids do not have a computer at home. And they, uh, she has a quote here about children have less exposure to digital devices Computers have a more difficult time keyboarding. Yes. And that's just practice using a digital meeting medium to record their thoughts. And I keep thinking of one girl I had who always had such good ideas, but it took her like almost the whole time to log in and someone else would help her. Another kid who was more digitally proficient would help her. By the time she got herself settled in, it was almost time for her to go, you know, back to her classroom. She really had to struggle to fill in the gap for the fact that she didn't have any experience using a computer outside of the school day. And rarely, even during the school day, to do something like writing a blog post, you know, where she was adding pictures and she was adding hyperlinks and really trying to express her thought about a book she had read or whatever the topic was. She didn't know how to do any of that because even in her classroom, that wasn't the way that the limited amount of time they had on the computer that it was being used. So I just, that really, 
how many times have you seen the difference between kids using one finger to type in fifth grade and the kids who have their fingers on the home row, you right. know, and are, are flying? You can tell which ones have had a chance to practice. And I also just want to point out a, a study called Opportunity for All Technology and Learning in Lower Income Families. It's by Victoria Rideout and Vicki Katz. And it is a fantastic report. And it talks about how it's not just about access to digital tools. It's also about how prepared families are to participate. Because most people do have some access to the Internet these days. They at least have a phone. But... What, how well can they participate in the expectations of a classroom with the device that they have access to? So that's another link that we could provide if anyone's interested in reading it. It talks about kids in poverty and it highlights um, Hispanic families and just a really great informational report. Well, I think she ends on a positive note. She says the future depends on our understanding of the value of a good reader and the role of deep reading and how we live our lives and basically that they can exist. Digital um, learning and traditional reading, they can exist side by side. There's no reason to let one type of reading um, lead over into the other type of reading. We can use both. Kids can are pretty good at, you know, figuring things out once we let them do it. I just, once we teach them, I should say, not just let them do it. But it's going to take some work and it's going to take some knowledge. I mean, how did you walk away from it? What were you thinking? That we definitely need both. And one, I feel like one um, actually benefits the other. Mm -hmm. There are different skills that you need that help the brain develop, like the sequencing that they get in books Mm -hmm. that they won't necessarily get digitally. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, but being able to be authentic and and empathetic and make your own decisions and your choices about what you've read. You need to be able to read deeply on a a digital device too. And um, to be able to take that information apart, put it back together and give your own, uh, your own viewpoint, I think is important. But before you can, but before you can do that, I feel like you, you have to be able to do, you know, get those empathetic emotions that you get from a story. I think they complement one another and the skills um, are needed for both, especially she says in in letter six, I'm going to go back to letter six for just a second. She she says that jobs haven't even been developed for kids that are going into preschool. So they're, they're going to need skills that we don't even know yet. They're going to need the ability to learn skills all the time. You know, they're going to have to be able to constantly refresh their skill set, you know? They can't just have a skill set that they have a call that they finish learning about college and then apply. They're gonna have to constantly be learning new skill sets to to keep their um, you know professional learning in line with their work. There's one last thing I wanted to say as well, Alicia, because this really gets to me um, a lot. Is that there's an assumption as she talks about this where people think that because kids are um, curious and they like to. Do, to discover new things, that their curiosity is enough for them to learn about um, learning digitally and about literacy. And that those curiosity and and those aspects of curiosity and discovery, those are wonderful and they do drive kids to learn, but they also can learn a lot about digital literacy without learning very much about how to become literate. And I thought that was so powerful because just because we put a tool in a kid's hands doesn't mean they're intuitively going to know how to use it for their own learning. 
and to further their own literacy. And that's that's something that I think people have been confused about for a while now. Yeah, oh, kids can figure this out. They can do this better than we can. Yeah, something, but it doesn't mean they know, like, how to format a blog post or how to, like, support their idea or make a picture match and, and enhance what they're writing. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. have to be taught those things, so we have a role. Right. I, I was just getting ready to say that. So, so like everything else that teachers need to be knowledgeable about because it has to be explicitly taught. This is just something else that needs to be explicitly taught. But we have to understand yes. it before we can do that. Right. Yes. And she, yeah. well, we did not um, really go over letter number seven and letter nine, but we encourage you to read those letters. They are wonderful. We are out of time, but we encourage you to get Read or Come Home by Dr. Marianne Wolf. It was a great read. It's a hard read. It, it will stretch your thinking. Through. Yeah, it's challenging, but at times it was really easy, too, because it just fits so easily with what I think we observe anyway. You know, she I feel like almost like she articulates my my thoughts like she articulates them in the most uh, beautiful way expressive you know <laughs> academic but professional and also interesting way that anybody could so thank you to dr marianne wolf we appreciate you so much yeah. and thanks to all the listeners all right that's it for this episode so we've hoped that's it. we hope you enjoyed it all right mary i'll see you next time all right bye